What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The numbers told the story they always do. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. This is a numbers game with Gil Alexander on VSIN. We are presented by BetMGM. I'm Jonathan Von Tobel filling in for Gil Alexander, a fellow idiot who believes in analytics, by the way. I'm all in on that. Um, we spent, uh, if you want to go back up on the best bets feed, we did spend a couple of minutes talking about that guy who was just talking about those idiots who believe in analytics, uh, Charles Barkley, and the ridiculous run that he was on with uh, Same Game Parlays. Let's bring in Raheem Palmer, host of The Ringer, Spotify, dare I say, a buddy. Uh, Raheem, what's up, man? I haven't talked to you for a while. What's up? What's good, man? It's been a while, man. Um, I definitely got to come see you next time I'm out in Vegas. But, yeah, life is good. I can't complain. <laughs> hey, have you been uh, – so we were just talking about this a couple minutes ago. Have you been uh, keen to Charles Barkley absolutely destroying same-game parlays? Like, at one point, he was 14 and 15 with, like, an average price of, like, 4 to 1. It, like, he's been destroying these things on this TNT broadcast, but nobody said anything. That's insane. I had no idea. Wow. I mean, as a matter of fact, I think I heard it on your show one day. You were talking about how, you know, they were grading his record as if – you know, it was a regular play, but like he's like hitting like four out of ten or five out of six, ten um same game parlays, which is you know outlandish. Yep, <laughs> it's absolutely nuts. All right, so let's go to your neck of the woods first. Uh, just your initial reaction of what we saw yesterday, and I keep making the case for Philly Raheem. It's, and I, I don't want to say that Philly is easier to guard with Joel Embiid, but I feel like if you're Boston, you're like, all right, cool. You're going to play at a slow pace. We could put Robert Williams in or Al Horford on Joel Embiid. We can defend everybody else. So, like, we're not, it's not making it easier for us. It just allows us to, to stay kind of schematically sound. Is that kind of a takeaway from what we saw yesterday? Um, I do think it was a takeaway, but I think, I mean, a lot of it was just, you know, Joel Embiid wasn't in rhythm at yeah. all. Um, and, you know, I think the big thing when it comes to this Sixers team is that I think their their best defense is going to be their offense. Um, they're going to have to score to match up with this Celtics team. And I just think last night, you know, everybody was out of rhythm because Joel Embiid came back. And, you know, there's a certain level of kind of laziness, and I, I hate to call him lazy, but when you have Joel Embiid and James Harden on the at the same time your transition defense is really really bad um so i think we saw that last night and i just think they didn't have the same effort level um knowing that they won game one yes yeah, i've been using the word apathy not lazy right like it seems like kind of apathetic <laughs> like when somebody rips a rebound and even them on transition offense right you'll see Embiid like 
all right, like, I'll just kind of get back up there. And you're at, like, 14 seconds, 10 seconds left in the shot clock, and you finally see Embiid get over the over the half-court mark. <laughs> you kind of see that. So let's talk about, then, this bounce back coming back home. It's a tied series going back to Philadelphia. You get days of rest, so it's going to help out Joel Embiid. So what do you make of this now coming back for Game 3? I think the line we're currently looking at right now, uh, let's see, I want to make sure I have this accurate for our audience. Uh, Philly, one and a half, catching that with a total of 214. Well, I mean, I think this is a really sharp line. I think a lot of people will want to play the Celtics based on what we saw last time, last game. But, I mean, I'm leaning towards the Sixers right now. I just think, you know, the Sixers probably should be favored here in this spot. I, I feel like the, the Celtics have been power rated a little bit too highly um, in this series. I mean, in game one, they were laying 10, which is kind of outlandish. Um, you know, game two, I can understand that a little bit more because, you know, it was a desperation spot. But I think we've seen a Jekyll and Hyde effect with this Celtics team. I mean, like, my guy, Brian Barrett, he said this um, on Twitter, but the Celtics have posted a defensive rating south of 106 three times this this postseason. But they've also posted a defensive rating north of 122 four times this postseason. So their defense is up and down. It's not the same. Um, my guy, Bill Simmons, he's always criticizing Joe Missoula. And I think in a close game, you're going to see that. Um, the Celtics probably won't hit 21 threes again, and the Sixers probably won't make just six. So I'm leaning the Sixers in this spot. All right, let, let's stay on that point really quickly, and we'll get off of this series. So we actually played the clip of Missoula's walk-off yesterday, right? Like, no questions about adjustments, and then, you know, leaving the press conference. But this is a team, Raheem, and you go back to under Ime Yudoka, those clutch time minutes have not been good for the Boston Celtics. Going back to the regular season, last year's postseason, post-All-Star break this year. So what do you make of that? Because we can criticize Missoula, but this has been a Celtics thing with this roster over the last two seasons now. Yeah, I do think some of it is the personnel. Uh, when you look at a guy like Jason Tatum, he's a guy who he's not really that explosive of an of an athlete. He's a guy who settles for his jumper. He kind of has this, you know, Kobe Bryant like, you know, shot approach, but he's not Kobe Bryant. He, you know, takes a lot of step backs, a lot of fadeaways. Um, and I just like just looking at this core, I just I just don't understand why with all the talent on their team, they can't close games. And, you know, with the spread being one. I measure those clutch statistics very heavily. Um, the Sixers are one of the best clutch teams in the league this year. So um, I think that's why I lean towards the Sixers, honestly. All right, let's go to tonight then. Los Angeles Lakers uh, on the road for game two against the Golden State Warriors. Warriors fall into that desperation spot you were talking about, right? Losing game one at home. Now get to play host here in game two. Six-point spread, total of 227. And I, I liken this series to the one we just talked about, Raheem, in, in that – you have an extreme math battle going on, right? You got one team that's going to take a crap ton of threes. You got one team that's not really going to do it and wants to get to the free throw line. Somewhat mirror images of what we talked about with Boston and Philadelphia, except the team that wants to get to the free throw line of the rim won game one. So what's the takeaway from game one and how we spin this here into game two? Well, you know, I had I had the Lakers money line in game one. You know, I spoke about this at length. You know, teams who come off a seven-game series are 33 and 52 straight up. But I really like this bounce back spot for the Warriors. I mean, the biggest thing when it comes to, you know, these bounce back spots, teams down 0-1 in the series at home. Game two are 19-1 straight up and 18-2 and against the spread since 2018-19. They're winning by almost 10 points a game. So I like the Warriors in this spot. I mean, you mentioned the math advantage that the Golden State Warriors have in this matchup. I think the one thing, you know, the, the Lakers have that advantage with Anthony Davis, but he played 44 minutes in game one. Really short turnaround. He played the entire second half. So I don't know if he's necessarily going to be able to 
like replicate what we saw in game one. And I think you're going to have a greater focus for the Warriors to get this done tonight. So I laid the, the five and a half with the Warriors, but I think you could lay this up to six and be fine. All right, so let's talk about this then big picture. Let's say that transpires. They're plus 145 to win the series now, the Golden State Warriors. So how, how does this play out? How does this weird dynamic of a team that loves three-point shots against a team that loves to get to the free throw line and has a size advantage over the course of a best of seven, what do you, what do you expect? I'm going to be honest with you. I like the Lakers in this series. Um, I didn't play it on a series price. I think I want to approach this game by game. But I just think the Lakers are the deeper team. When you look at this Golden State Warriors team, I know they have the map advantage. But, I mean, they give up a lot inside. And, you know, the one thing about this Warriors team is they're not very deep. And they need Steph Curry to, like, kind of really go off. I mean, in that Sacramento Kings series, they had the, – the Kings had a plus 30 net rating with Curry off the floor. And – the one thing I like about this Lakers team is they're extremely balanced. Uh, and like LeBron James doesn't have to do it every single night. I mean, I've never seen this many playmakers around LeBron James, whether it's Dennis Schroeder, whether it's D'Angelo Russell, whether it's Austin Reeves. I mean, they just had, they're, they're just the more, the deeper team. And I just think, you know, the Warriors, this is probably going to be a longer series, but I think ultimately the Lakers are going to pull it out. Yeah, I, thought, I saw. I think it was Josh Everly up on Twitter put it pretty well. It was like, this isn't the best supporting cast LeBron's ever had, but it's the most support he's got from a cast that LeBron has had. And I think it's an interesting way to look at it when you look at the Los Angeles Lakers. All right, let's go back to – let's go to uh, – actually, we'll stay in the Western Conference. Denver-Phoenix. Uh, this is a very – keep in mind, this is a very pro-Denver show here. All right, we've got some pre-series yeah. bets on the Nuggets. Uh, we've got already some money line plays here for game three. Uh, I just think, look, man, like you talk about just some advantages, disadvantages. Raheem, when you're asking guys to play four 44 minutes a night, they'll score 30 points a game. How are you supposed to get out of a series like that if you're Phoenix? Yeah, I mean, honestly, they if Kawhi Leonard is, I know you're a Clippers fan, but if Kawhi Leonard doesn't get hurt, oh, they don't on. even make it out of round one. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this this Suns team is not very good at all. And then you lose Chris Paul, and, you know, I mean, campaign is, sol- is solid off the, off the bench, but they don't have a lot of NBA players. I, I look at them. They're in the same position that the Philadelphia 76ers were in last year. Um, you know, there's not m- much precedent for, you know, one of your stars getting traded to the team that year and winning a championship. I think the closest you could think of is probably Rashid Wallace in 2003. But, I mean, he wasn't, like, he didn't have the uses of a Kevin Durant mm-hmm. this year or James Harden last year. And I said last year that you would have to give Daryl Morey a little bit of time to bring guys in in order for the Sixers to be a true contender. And you saw the Sixers. They brought in Dan- um, Danton Melton. They brought in P.J. Tucker, guys like that. The Suns are going to need that offseason. So I think there's a good chance that this Suns team could get swept. But I'm not going to lie to you. I do think the Suns probably pull it off um, at home in game three. But, I mean, this is probably, you know, at best, this is a six-game series. Probably a five-game series, to be honest with you, because the Suns don't have enough. Yeah, I, I, I keep saying, like, there's obviously a reality where Booker and Durant go nuclear. They score, like, 40 points almost each, and then you win a game. But over the course of an actual series, I, I find a hard time seeing Denver losing this series outright. Uh, all right, we'll get you out of here on this. New York, Miami. Uh, injury question marks mm-hmm. about Jimmy Butler, so we don't really sure, we're not really sure where this will end up by the time we get to game time on Saturday. Do you have any read here as we go back to South Beach for game three? This is a tough one. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I think, I mean, when I look at this Knicks offense, it's just downright abysmal. Yeah. I, I just, there's no way I can, I can trust them to win a series. And, you know, you spoke about the clutch minutes earlier with when it, when it comes to the Boston Celtics, but I think that's a plus for the Miami heat. I mean, when you got Jimmy Butler out there. If he, I mean, he, if he is healthy, I just, I mean, they lead the league in clutch wins with 32. Um, and a big reason why is Jimmy Butler. And, 
we're at a point now where the Heat don't even miss Tyler Hero because you have guys like Max Struess, you got guys like Duncan Robinson, Gabe Vincent. The way they're shooting the ball, I, I mean, Tyler Hero being out doesn't even matter. And the one thing I will say is that, you know, Kyle Lowry, he's been banged up most of the year, but that's almost to their benefit because he's fresh in this series. So I think ultimately Miami's going to get it done. I think you could, you know, lay them on a series price, and I think they end up winning this. Um, The one thing I will say, I mean, I want to say this about the Denver Nuggets. It's probably not too late to take the the Nuggets' future odds if you don't already have them. They're plus 310 to win the NBA um, title. I mean, they're probably going to get through the Suns series. And they're going to be favorites, so I would probably take that future price if you don't already have them at you know twenty-one to one, like some of us had them oh. already. Uh, some of us, or Raheem probably. Uh, I am Rostradamus <laughs> up on Twitter, uh, the gambling pot over there at the Ringer East Coast Bias. Make sure you check it out; it's an awesome list. Raheem, good to talk to you, man. Glad you're doing well. And we'll catch up soon. No doubt. I'm definitely going to catch you next time I'm out in Vegas. Good to see you. All right, man. I'll hold you to it. Raheem Palmer again over there at the uh, Action Network. Um, man, this is going to be shape enough if we get a Denver Nuggets team that is going to make it to the uh, NBA Finals. Whew, I'm down for it, man. I kind of am, too. Murray, <laughs> Murray and Jokic deserve that kind of a platform, especially after Jokic got all the uh, slander that he did throughout the regular season. All right, we'll come back, hit a little baseball. Uh, let's play a game that I like to play when it comes to buying low and selling high. We'll discuss that when we return. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A numbers game on VSIN, the sports betting network. 
Become a VEASAN Pro subscriber today. You get a daily email recapping all the best bets from our show hosts and guests. You also get unlimited access to our VEASAN.com picks page. Sort picks by sport, matchup, event data more. Check the top VEASAN experts leaderboard as well. You betting records, profit, ROI, see which VEASAN expert has the hot hand for VEASAN Pro picks, betting splits, power ratings, plus 24-7 video access. Become a VEASAN Pro subscriber today. Sign up now only $9.99 at VEASAN.com slash subscribe. Before we get to baseball, really quickly, something came across my timeline that I forgot that I wanted to tell you. What you got? So the other day, Jessica Alba was trending on Twitter for very good reason. Um, <laughs> yep. Apparently, she was invited to the game. Did you see this? No, 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 no. Who Of all the people affiliated with the New York Knicks, who do you think invited Jessica Alba to the New York Knicks game? I have no idea. John McEnroe. Ju- Julius Randle. <laughs> Really? What? So apparently she posted on Twitter uh, that, quote, congrats, Knicks, on the W. Thank you, Julius Randle, for the invite. You are a kind soul, and it was awesome watching your leadership on the court. That's a bizarre. That's like, unless, obviously, I don't know the intricacies of Julius Randle's personal life, but that's a really odd connection that I had never made. Well, I guess I guess we just uh, figured out the next topic for the next Hardwood Handicappers investigation. Uh, very much so. Charles Barkley's uh, same-game parlays and then Jessica Alba's connection to Julius Randle. Also, really quickly, Sauce Gardner alleges that he doesn't know who Jessica Alba is. Um, he's, wow. He skews younger. I'm like, he's, what? I was going to say, is he young enough and that that is possible? And she's kind of been out of the business for a little bit. She really hasn't done much. It, yeah, over right, the last, like, like, what, 10 years? Not yeah. much? So I, I guess I, that's possible, but, man, it makes me feel old. I mean, <laughs> Sin City was such an important time in so many other, you know, young men's lives around the same age that, you know, as me. So, very surprising. Very surprising. All right, let's talk a little baseball. So, around this time of year is when I like to get a little bit more involved in baseball betting, Kelly. And it's one of the things that I kind of like to – we used to do it all the time on the edge, right? It's called – I called it buying low and selling high and talking about some of these pitchers and diving into their metrics. I feel like now we're approaching the point where – you're getting a pretty decent sample size of data that would allow you to kind of dive into some of these differentials for some of these starting pitchers that there might be some value to be had and to find. And what you'll kind of see, too, as we talk about a couple of these games, there's a reason why I, I uh, specifically wanted to talk about the ones that I sent you, which is because you see these differentials for some of these pitchers, and you also see at times the market tends to reflect those in that you'll see them move the right direction. So I'll give you an example of this, right? Let's talk about Anaheim and St. Louis really quickly. Griffin Canning is going to be on the hill here for the Angels. Jack Flaherty is going to get the start for the St. Louis Cardinals. We saw an overnight price of Cardinals minus 145, plus 125 coming back on the Angels. The total at 8.5 shaded to the under at minus 115. And this is where you see it. And this is the game that I like to play here. Let's take a look at Flaherty, for example. He fits the parameters of a guy that I think you can, quote-unquote, sell high on, right? An ERA of 398 on the surface is fine. It's about average. But his fielding independent at 517, an expected fielding independent of flat five, that would indicate, look, we're about to run higher there, we'll call it, on that FIP and XFIP. And so that would indicate that, for lack of a better term that I'm not smart enough to use, getting a little lucky in terms of the way that he's been pitching. He should be pitching at a slightly worse rate than what his ERA has given him to this point. And then what you like to do is dive into some of the numbers. I don't want to just look at that and go, okay, ERA is this, XFIP is this, I'm going there. Let's see why that is. And you look through some of the numbers, command issues early for him. He's walked 15% of the batters that he's faced, Flaherty has. It's really high. That's a case per nine of nearly six. That's insane. He's also given up a ton of hard contact. Barrel rate for Flaherty at 11.3%, a hard hit rate of nearly 40% at 38.8. So you put those things together. You're talking about a guy who is walking batters and putting them on base nearly six every nine innings. 
He's giving up a lot of hard contact. That is going to lead to, at some point, a dude kind of getting knocked around. And then on the other side, you have Griffin Canning. Canning is a fine pitcher, but all of his numbers are exactly what he is. 411 ERA, 436 fielding independent, or excuse me, uh, expected fielding independent. Gives up a ton of barrels himself and hard contact. You put this together, and you see an opening number of eight and a half shaded to the under, and St. Louis at minus 145. And I'm like, okay, well, if I'm selling high on Flaherty, and I think both of these pitchers are about below average, is what their numbers would dictate, that would probably think move to the Angels and a move to the over. And sure enough, what do we see here in the market, Kelly? Eight and a half on the overnight with an under to minus 115. Now we're at nine. And an opener of minus 145 with the Cardinals, we're at minus 139. And so a lot of the times you will see that the market kind of reflects what you're looking at here when it comes to this game that I like to play with buy low, sell high. I would more than often than not probably play this thing over if you had access to the eight and a half on the overnight at a minus 105 price to the over. Mm -hmm. Market has taken advantage of that. But I think it's a really good way to do this, especially if you're handicapping baseball overnight. You can get a sense of where the market's going to move. I call them like the FIP movements, right? Because the line will move generally where those FIP deltas will take you. And that's exactly what one of these instances here is with Flaherty in this matchup with the Angels. Yeah, that's a good call. I, I am, I'm just looking looking around right now. I don't see anything but nines now. It, yeah. it is. I don't see an eight and a half out there. So, yeah, good call. And by the way, because uh, I'm an Angels fan, watch out, baby. This lineup's uh, producing, and Shohei Otani is absolutely fantastic and might win Cy Young in our MVP. Um, but let's talk, let's talk about a couple of the other examples. And really, I think this next one is just, it's narratively, it's a good game, and you want to see what's going to happen. But the New York Mets are going to take on the Detroit Tigers. Justin Verlander is going to make his return here, or his debut, I should say, um, for the New York Mets, and a return from an injury is what I wanted to say. Um, but when you look at it, first off, you saw an overnight price of minus 185 on the Mets. You figured that was going to start to come down, right? We don't know if there's going to be a pitch camp for Verlander. It's a muscle injury. So is he really going to be down for there for that long? You've got an entire season left in front of you. He's an older guy. He's 40. You would think that you just want to get him out there, get a little misty, and then let's move on to the next contest, especially if it's the Tigers. One of my favorite pitchers in baseball, for some random reason, has been Eduardo Rodriguez for the last few years. There was like that season, like it was like two years ago. It was I think it was his last year for Boston. He pitched like 170 innings. He had an ERA of nearly like four and a half, but they were just winning every single Eduardo Rodriguez start. The guy's a solid pitcher, and he has been great this year. ERA 221. Now his expected fielding independence at 391. So you don't want to expect that he's going to be able to continue to produce at the level that he has been. There are some signs of regression there. But like if you look at some of the numbers for Eduardo Rodriguez, he's getting somewhat lucky on balls in play. Batting average against, or excuse me, a batting average on balls in play is 218. That's going to start to regress here a little bit toward league average. But he's given up nothing in terms of contact. Barrel rate of just 4% for Eduardo Rodriguez. Hard hit rate of just 28%. Like, these are numbers across the board that are really good for Rodriguez. And so this is another one where you're like, okay, overnight opens kind of high here. You're talking about the Mets at $1.85 with a guy returning from a muscle injury, making his debut. Probably not going to be out there for very long. And if you see, one of the initial market moves here, Kelly, was eight to seven and a half. Makes a little bit of sense. I'd also be interested to look at like where Justin Verlander's strikeout prop ends up because this is a Tigers lineup that strikes out a ton. They've got the third highest uh, strikeout rate as a as a uh, lineup. Also, 28th in weighted runs created plus. But I don't know if Verlander's going to be out there that long, so I thought 6.5 is a little high, and the market has shaded it to under minus 125. But I thought, one, worth updating because we're going to see Verlander today. But two, Eduardo Rodriguez, one of my favorite pitchers, and putting up some insane numbers, and it does look like there might be some regression coming for him. Maybe not to a, a massive extent, but still something for, coming for Rodriguez who's been a, a consummate pro 
as he's kind of gone along throughout his career. Your Verlander prop, uh, five and a half over yep. at DraftKings, juiced heavily to the over, minus it, 165. So this is, and this is why I like to do these things. Look, like I'm not, I, this is about the time where I start to get more into baseball betting. My tact with baseball season every year is, it's, this is going to sound goofy at first. It makes sense. Play fantasy baseball because it helps me keep track of a lot of the players. Uh, and then it's just, hey, keep track of some of the numbers. By the time you get to like May and into June is the next month. Yes, it's the next month. Uh, that's when you maybe start to get some of these sample sizes large enough on these pitchers because I'm very much, as I think vast majority of people are, uh, tied my handicapping into a lot of these starting pitchers. But just doing this exercise on a daily basis does give an idea where the market's moving. And, like, sure enough, you look at this, right, and you see exactly what we're talking about reflected in where the market has been moving in both of these games. So let's go to one more at least, and we'll get this one out of here. I wanted to go to Pittsburgh and Tampa Bay. Vince Velasquez is going to get the start uh, in this one for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Zach Eflin will oppose him. And first off, uh, good for, for good for uh, Vince Velasquez and the Pittsburgh Pirates for the start they are. Velasquez, though, is, again, another great example of somebody who maybe has some negative regression coming for him, right? A 306 ERA through 32 and a thirds innings of work for him. He has been off to a tremendous start. However, you look at the expected fielding independent of 462, and then you start to dive into some of the numbers. Walk rate's a little high. Uh, you got it at about 9.5%. That's not something you really love to see, uh, as we've kind of talked about with some of these numbers. And then you start to dive in a little bit more. Bail rate's not too bad. Hard hit rate is pretty solid, too, at 33.7%. But there is an indication that Velasquez is pitching a little above his skis. Now, the problem is, and this is why I wanted to bring up a game like this, is that you're buying low and you're selling high against the, you know, Tampa Bay Rays, who are power rated to the moon, might not be the spot to try to do that, right? The market has moved in favor of the Rays. We're talking about opening $1.90, now up to like minus 210 in certain spots. But there's spots you want to pick and choose to use this exercise, and I thought it was important to look this up. And I just wanted to say, too, the Rays with what they do in terms of, like, developing pitchers and getting the most out of them. Zach Eflin has always been a good pitcher, but he's off to a tremendous start this season, and numbers across the board are pretty tight. Three ERA flat, 338 expected fielding independent, no real cracks in the armor in terms of his statistical profile that you're jumping on to go and bet against him. But I wanted to bring this one up, too, because it's not always this blind exercise of, hey, let's sell high on guys, let's fade them right away. Market did move against Velasquez, kind of like we're talking about, right, when it comes to this game, uh, but not one that I got involved with here. But it's something I like to do with baseball season. We'll do a couple more of those uh, when we come back tomorrow here, of course, because I'm filling in for Gil, and I will be back tomorrow. When we come back, UFC 288. Can the little guy, Henry Cejudo, has been off for two years. Can he get it done? Watch Jordan Sherwood, decent first-strike contributor, when we return. Hey, everybody, a reminder, too, that coming up this weekend, it is the most exciting two minutes in sports. And if you're ready for it, uh, you're not. You want to know why? Because you haven't picked up the VEASAN Kentucky Derby betting guide yet. That's right. Check it out. Profiles of the entrance. You get best bets from Dave Tooley and company. And profiles, horses, jockeys, trainers, their mothers. So you know which horses are the favorites, the sleepers, and the long shots. Which oats they ate. I'm a steel-cut oat kind of guy. Oh, really? Yes. I didn't know there was any others, like, kind. Yeah, I was like, wow, how many other oats can you name, JVT? <laughs> You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. You'd also be surprised at the way I eat them, much like a horse. My wife has to strap a bag to my face so he can get it done. Uh, all right. I believe we have a Kentucky Derby special today as well. Oh, that's too. right. I Live believe, uh, yes, best bets, uh, Kentucky Derby special today at 11 a.m. Pacific time. 
2 p.m. Eastern time. Which, of course, if you can't make it live, will be there for your viewing and or listening pleasure wherever you get your podcast or up at the website of VEASAN.com. All the more reason to become a VEASAN Pro subscriber. Speaking of pros, Jordan Sherwood, nice enough to give us some time here today. You hear him consistently on VEASAN's First Strike. I know you know that because you listen to that wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, you can follow him on Twitter, Wood, on ESPN 1000. Jordan's good to talk to you. Uh, so it's hard not to start at the top, and this is what I want to do here. Aljamain Sterling, Henry Cejudo. By the way, Aljamain Sterling, I'll say, from a, about three or four or five months ago, a, um, we'll say somebody who enjoys his time over at Circa, considering me walking by him late at night at Circa and looking like he was Ditto. having a really good time. Yeah. <laughs> including including multiple times, including him holding his championship belt multiple times. Yes. Yeah, nice. Well, the wall was holding him up when I walked by him the other time. So uh, let's talk about this mount. <laughs> Henry Cejudo, uh, let's, let's start with this. Ring rust, the long layoff for Cejudo, how much of an impact do you think this has uh, against the younger fighter in, uh, in, uh, when you talk about this matchup for, against Sterling, by the way? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's the twofold. Uh, it's one, it's the younger fighter in Aljamain Sterling. It's also the awkwardness that Aljamain Sterling brings whenever he fights uh, in the octagon. He's a very long, athletic bantamweight that comes at you in a multitude of different ways, especially in the takedown department and also the striking. So what the essentially what I'm saying is that he's very difficult to mirror in training camp. Mm-hmm. Um, I do believe Henry Cejudo will be ready for this fight. There's a reason why he's a multi-divisional champion. He's also an Olympic medalist. Um, three years is no joke. Three years is nothing to, to, to look, you know, ignore. The fact that he hasn't been competing at the highest level and going in there against the best bantamweight in the world in Aljamain Sterling. But I do believe that a couple of those factors are going to be, uh, you know, heavily weighted towards putting Sterling in a position to cash in uh, as the winner. Um, and, and quite frankly, guys, you know, he opened – he opened as a, as a bigger favorite. Money flooded in on Henry Cejudo, turned him into the favorite. Now it's a virtual pick Um, I would love to play Aljamain Sterling in this fight, but I love him at plus money. I'm waiting for a little bit more people to bet in on Henry Cejudo, think he's going to do something special at 35 years of age before I make an official play uh, on this title fight. All right, so two questions. We'll start the first one. It's the sports betting question. Uh, just judging by where the market has moved here, Cejudo's a public fighter. Do you think you'll get that plus price by the time we get to fight time on Saturday? Yeah, I do. I yeah. think that people are going to also look at the history of Aljamain Sterling. You know, yes, he did get the DQ win to win the time, uh, to win the fight against Peter Yan, uh, but he was losing that fight and on his way to lose via decision. And then his last title fight, Albeit it was impressive against T.J. Dillashaw, but the big storyline following that was T.J. Dillashaw was injured heading into that fight. So I think people were a little bit you know, not as high on Aljamain Sterling as you will. And then, of course, Henry Cejudo is going to promote this fight. Week of, he's great. He's he's triple C, but he's also extremely cringeworthy when you look at his <laughs> interviews and, and how he approaches fights. Uh, and I think certainly also public money is going to come in on Cejudo, making Sterling uh, a slight underdog come fight night. Yeah, cringeworthy is a good way to put it for uh, Henry Cejudo. Uh, so let, yeah. let's talk about this from a fight perspective. Then uh, these are two guys that I think, like you know, on the ground, they're pretty. They're both pretty effective. Is this one where this cancels it out? And you look at a guy like Sterling in terms of the way this fight might go, and think like, dude, I'm I'm younger. I got a reach advantage. I'm bigger. Like, let's just bring this to the feet. Let Let's stand up and trade as opposed to get down on the ground. Yeah, I th- I think both e- each other wrestling is going to cancel each other out. As I alluded to, though, Sterling does bring a little bit of a a different athleticism and, and takedown approach. 
But Henry Cejudo is a world-class wrestler. He's one of the best, obviously, being an Olympic medalist. He's got the boxing credentials. He's the smaller fighter, shorter reach, so he's going to have to get in the pocket. Sterling's going to be able to utilize elusiveness, utilize athleticism. The one thing, too, about Sterling, I, in my handicap, I love his fight camp. I love Ray Longo, Matt Serra. They've coached champions before. They've obviously got a great one in Sterling. They've got another one maybe on the rise in Murab Divishvili. They also got Matt Frivola, who's fighting earlier on in the card. I love it when fighters pair up and they're, and they're fighting on the same uh, fight night. Uh, so that's why I do like Sterling in this fight. But as I alluded to, yeah. I want to wait a little bit more until uh, he becomes a slight underdog before I play it. Anything for a uh, analysis or lean on the total rounds? I know obviously heavily shaded to over five and a, four and a half at minus 160. Uh, but if there is a higher, you know, if there's more of a chance that these two guys are standing up, higher probability maybe than the market's indicating that this could end in a finish? Yeah, I do. I actually, I, I am kind of leaning towards a finish, uh, albeit, you know, it, it's a little bit of a risk, but Cejudo's been a finisher. You know, he finished, uh, he, he had victories over finish in his last two fights. Aljamain Sterling, also a finisher. He can go submissions. He can go striking. And I think, again, there's also the risk factor of what is Henry Cejudo going to look like? Is he just taking this fight, uh, you know, maybe get a nice little paycheck? Uh, or is he truly believing he's going to reclaim the championship? So he might not be as prepared as he once was at 35 years of age, which is why I think uh, playing the under is certainly worth the luck. All right. I know we got a couple more fights to get to really quickly. How important as a handicapper are these weigh-ins for you? Oh, extremely important. Uh, not so much with those guys. I mean, those guys yeah. are extremely professional. But a fighter like uh, Jessica Andrade at times has struggled with, you know, with with, with weight loss. Crying uh, Gracie earlier on in the fight card, a guy that's been out of the game also for three years. How is his weight cut going to go down? So yeah, I have to. I typically do not release my plays until Friday after the weigh-ins to be absolutely sure I like a particular fighter. All right, let's go co-main Welter, uh, welterweight bout below Muhammad, Gilbert Burns. I know you got a play here, I think, on uh, Muhammad, so walk us through this. He's the underdog at about plus 105, plus 110. Yeah, I, I love Bilal Muhammad in this fight. Uh, I, you know, look, we just talked to him on, my, on the podcast that I host on ESPN Chicago. He's been preparing for five rounds for several months. He just been, hasn't been able to get a fight booked. Uh, he, like Aljamain Sterling, also comes to the to the octagon with a, a, a unique skill set, unique takedown approach, outstanding boxing. And, and I think people are looking at, well, Gilbert Burns just won. He looked impressive over Jorge Masvidal. He's got the power advantage. He's outstanding on the ground with his submissions. But when I look at this, I think Bilal Muhammad has the cardio advantage. It's unique that it's a co-main event, non-title fight that's going to be five rounds. Bilal Muhammad's never been submitted in his mixed martial arts career. And Gilbert Burns just peaked two weeks ago. He just peaked for his fight night. Now he's coming back into the game two weeks later to take on a high-level welterweight in a five-round fight. Bilal Muhammad is the slight underdog. I like him in this fight. I think he's going to win, but I think the prop also going five rounds. He's going to win via decision. That's how Bilal Muhammad wins fights. So I think if you want to add a little bit of value to him, a Bilal Muhammad play, you'd play him on the judges' scorecards. Let's go to the early prelims. I, I like listening to you guys uh, talk about fights like this because I, I liken it to a college basketball better who's betting like Northeast Conference totals. Right? There's not a lot of data out there, and maybe a little bit less of a, uh, a sharper market at the early offset. Parker Porter, big guy versus Braxton Smith. What are we looking at here in the uh, – I think it's the main of the early prelim, correct? Yeah, early prelims. Yeah, low-level heavyweights for sure. Braxton Smith is 5-1. and one. He lost his mixed martial arts debut back in 2018. Took a little time off. Uh, you know, since then, he's racked up five first-round finishes. I don't think a fight's lasted more than two minutes. He's got a, He's a big guy, big overhand right. 
But Parker Porter's like seen that type of fighter. He's been in the UFC, and granted, he, you know, he's not beating, you know, he's losing to high-level guys, but he's beating guys I think that he's seen before. And I think Parker Porter, you know, survives the early onset, gets this fight to the ground, and just controls Braxton Smith on the ground. Maybe he gets a submission at some point in the middle of the second or third round, but I just think Parker Porter is just too big of a veteran. Braxton Smith doesn't have that explosive myths like a, a Jelton Omeda or a Justin Taffa uh, has, has, has shown Parker Porter to stop him. So I think Parker Porter is the favorite for a reason. The level of competition is better. Uh, his UFC experience better, uh, and he's going to survive early. So I like the over one and a half. And then I also like Porter to win straight up on the money line as well. He's a slight favorite against Braxton Smith. All right, we've got 60. Cron Gracie, Charles Jourdain. You mentioned Gracie earlier. So what's the angle with this fight? Cron Gracie got a scolding after his last fight three years ago for never taking the fight to the ground. His grandfather sat him down and said, what are you doing? You're a Gracie. Don't stand with fighters. Take him down and submit him. Charles Jourdain is, is an outstanding striker, very athletic. He's Air Jourdain. I mean, that's a great nickname. But I think Cron Gracie goes back to his roots, understands how am I going to have an advantage over somebody, and he gets this fight to the ground, and he gets Charles Jourdain out of there. The odds are indicating that there is going to be a finish in this fight. But I don't think Cron Gracie's the type of guy that gets knocked out. So he avoids defeat, gets this fight to the ground, and gets Charles Jordan out of there in a round, round and a half. Follow Jordan up on Twitter, Wood on ESPN 1000. Again, you can hear a VSIN first strike contributor, co host of the Unnamed MMA podcast. Jordan, always going to talk to you, man. Appreciate it as always. All right, fellas. Thanks for the time. You see that airs on VSIN too, by the way, first strike Tuesday through Friday, 12 a.m. Pacific time for those Matt Humans out there. That are up and about, and of course, wherever you get your podcasts, if you're there not you on that Matt Humans type of schedule. By the way, shout out to Matt Humans in the cameo. You think those are Matt Humans sunglasses in the newest Circa commercial? Because he's looking pretty. Uh, he's looking pretty good, but I don't think those are Matt Humans sunglasses. I don't think there's any shot. Also, they made him do his hair. That's a really big upset. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. 
I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A numbers game on VSEN, the sports betting network. BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks, unleashes the spirit of Las Vegas with BetMGM Rewards. We were just talking about Las Vegas spirits. Every time you make a wager at BetMGM, you can earn BetMGM Rewards points that you can redeem for online bonus credits like bonus bets and bet insurance tokens. If you're planning a trip to Vegas, you can also convert your BetMGM points into MGM Rewards points that you can use towards dining, shows, and hotel rooms at over 20 MGM Rewards properties located on the Vegas Strip and nationwide. Sign up with BetMGM. Log on today. Get an even bigger piece of the action. Eligibility restrictions apply. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Visit BetMGM for terms. Got to be 21. New and existing customer offer. All promotions subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards are issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets, which expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. And if you have a gambling problem, 1-800-GAMBLER is the number. All right, so I've got two options for you. You want to talk? Let's close this entire show talking about Wander Franco flipping a ball before he threw a guy out in a baseball game. How about that? Okay. Debate the ethics of this or not. <laughs> or we can talk about the uh, NBA game later tonight that we haven't hit on yet. Which one? Yeah, let's go. Let's do uh, the second okay. one. Ah, come on. Let's I do the second to, one. I wanted to do that one. Uh, You're ruining baseball. Come on. Every time. How dare you have fun? Every time. <laughs> I don't know why they even think of it. Uh, all right. So, Los Angeles Lakers and the Golden State Warriors. I, I will say, uh, Kelly, as you know, as somebody who's got some pretty good positions on the Golden State Warriors to win this Western Conference, I, you know, I went back and rewatched and. I'm still confident, but I, I would lie if I was saying my confidence was shaken or was not shaken after rewatching, you know, game one. And I'm kind of, I'm holding on to two things. And I think those are two solid footholds to hold on to, mm-hmm. but it's still, you know, not really confidence. The first is when you look at what they did in transition in that game, they were very, very good in transition when they got the opportunity to get out and run. And I think that's something that can be sustainable. A transition offensive rating off of live rebounds, 127.3, according to Cleaning the Glass. It's a very good offensive rating. It's a good offensive rating off of live rebounds, and it's something that they can continue to do. And they were great. And especially when you're talking about a front court oriented team like the Lakers, you can have an advantage when it comes to off of live rebounds transition offense. The other is they have a lot of confidence that they're going to win that math battle that we keep talking about with the three-point line. Make a lot more threes, take a lot more threes. That'll give you an edge pretty much every single night. Having said that, how you figure out the Anthony Davis question is going to be one that I'm very interested in. One of the things that we saw in the fourth quarter, in the first three quarters, they ran a lot of off-ball Steph Curry stuff. Right? Mm-hmm. They were trying to get Jared Vanderbilt to have to sprint through screens and trying to get other guys to have to like switch off and do those sort of stuff when Vanderbilt lost him and then have Vanderbilt scram to go back and get him. And it wasn't really working out for him. And then in the fourth quarter, you saw that Steve Kerr was like, all right, well, let's just put the ball in Curry's hands, and we're going to run pick and rolls with him. We're going to get Anthony Davis to maybe come up and contest, and we'll see if it opens up the floor, or if he gives you that space, he'll hit a jumper. And it kind of opened up the offense a little bit, and as we know, 14-point lead for the Lakers evaporates pretty quickly, and the Warriors go on a 14-0 run. So I think that there's some things that you can hang on to here, and the spot is much better for them tonight against the uh, Los Angeles Lakers. But having said that, as somebody who thought that the Warriors were going to win the series, I do still think they will. But, man, this is going to be a sweat to watch this series transpire for Golden State to see if they can actually get this thing done, given the problems that that front court presents for them against the Lakers. Yeah, we, uh, I, I mean, we, we had a feeling, Anthony Day, we, we both said, and you leaned a little bit harder on the Warriors' side of this thing before the series started. I, I, was, I was a little bit down the middle of, I don't really know how this is going to go, yep. except for it's going to be a long series. 
But we both thought that AD was going to be the most important player in this series. And I think that's still true. After what you saw in game one, like there's a lot of questions of can you keep this up? And when we had Raheem Palmer on earlier, he mentioned it as well. He played every minute of that second half. I think it sets up. I do think it sets up for a nice spot for Golden State tonight. From a betting side of things, I'm in on it. I laid four and a half. Are you in, you're, are you in on the Warriors tonight? No. I okay, I know, I know you were leaning that way. I don't really but. want to double down on, you know, I've, I like to sit back and watch these, like, you know, large sample size series come in, and I really need this Warriors team to win this game today yeah. so I can get something. I, I thought it was going to be a tough turnaround for them in game one. I think it did kind of play itself out a little bit with the Lakers yep. picking up that first game. AD having that big of a game. I think kind of proved that too. I think now these, uh, you know, the day off in between these game, two games, Golden State can work harder about how to make adjustments to that. Do they have the pieces to do it? Is the I think is the biggest question. Uh, but that will be a test for Steve Kerr to figure that out. Um, but if they, you know, they keep shooting, uh, they keep shooting that well as, as well as they did. I think this is a good spot for them tonight. They'll, they'll, uh, get things back on track. Go one one back to L.A. I have no idea. After like, I was pretty confident in game one, JFT with the Lakers. Pretty confident tonight with the Warriors. After this tonight, I have no idea how the rest of the series is going to look. I think it's going to be tight all the way down the stretch. Yeah, it's it's and like the Lake the Lakers too. I mean, like one of the things that you're going to be wondering about as well is, you know, like does Jermichael Green get a little bit more run here today uh, if you're the Golden State Warriors, or do you do it a little differently? Jonathan Kaminga did not see the floor in yeah. Game One. You kind of need a little bit more athletic forward to go out there and and guard some of those possessions, especially if you're going to go a little bit smaller. And you know, I was thinking too, man. Draymond Green has a certain value. But are we going to approach a similar spot where we did in that series against Boston? Remember where there were some real questions about whether or not you were going to play Draymond Green because like he doesn't he doesn't provide much on offense. If you're mm-hmm. the Lakers, that's just we're sagging off. If you want to shoot a three, you shoot a three. But in reality, what you're going to do is you're going to catch the ball at the top of the key and then you're going to sling it to the left wing and set a screen. Like that's it's I, what you're going to do. And I, it makes the job a little bit easier for the Lakers defensively. Yeah, I saw a couple of people point this out too. I, I think it's a good point where before it might have been Leave him alone if he's beyond the uh, beyond the three point line. You're like we could sag back, let him take that shot. It's grown to a point of as long as Draymond's not in the paint, like you can play off of him. Like you want to take a long two, go ahead. Like we're still just hanging back. So yeah, I, I, I'm. I think those are the questions to figure out tonight. Like you did not have because of what the Lakers were doing defensively, you did not have any success really getting to the rim. And that's how we know that we can collapse that defense a little bit for some of these hot hot shooters for for Golden State. So I don't know, maybe. Uh, you know, playing maybe playing a guy like Kaminga and his athleticism allows some of those things to unfold a little bit more. I think that's something definitely to keep an eye on uh, here tonight. I, 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 this is going to be it's going to be a great series of adjustments. We hear that all the time, but I of what those what the Lakers threw at the Warriors in Game One, especially on the defensive side of the ball, I was a little surprised to see. So now it's time now it's time to see the Lakers stay with it and how do the Warriors adjust to it? Yeah, it's going to be. Um... And also, I mean, I think we hit it on the head with the importance of this guy. And I know a lot of people were, you know, he was kind of the goat after what happened in the game one. But Jordan Poole also can, has to continue to be a little bit more of a, an efficient offensive presence for them. Yes. Like their bench has been yep. so bad. And if part of the reason has been because of him. Like he had a career worst year in terms of efficiency differential. And if he's not going to play at a, a high level offensively and the shot selection gets him. And I don't, I'm not even just talking about that last shot like throughout an entire game, right? It's bad shot selection that transitions into bad defensive possession where you get beat and you foul out of frustration. Those are the things that can't happen if you're Jordan Poole because they they absolutely need you if that's going to be the case.
Yeah, a little bit breaking news before we get out Ooh, here. Uh, we uh, we heard these reports uh, about some suspicious betting with the Alabama oh, yeah, yeah. LSU baseball game. Uh, this is from ESPN. Alabama baseball coach Brad Bohannon was fired Thursday for, quote, violating the standards, duties, and responsibilities expected of university employees, the school announced. Alabama AD Greg Byrne has is- uh, initiated the termination process for Bohannon, who has been the Crimson Tides coach since 2017. Uh, Jason Jackson, a assistant, will fill in as interim coach. So we don't really have more details exactly of what that story was uh, behind the suspicious betting activity, but it seems to directly involve the Alabama team and possibly head coach. Wow. Okay. I mean, we saw the last time we saw something like this, remember it was that Purdue game where it turned out that they had just hired Drew Brees, and Drew Brees, of course, was affiliated with points bets, and that's why everything got taken down and they freaked out. This seems a little bit more serious, though. Yes. Right? Because Drew Brees is just a corporate sponsor member who had allegedly died by lightning strike in a points bed commercial. That, this that was is, so annoying. That, that was, was so annoying. <laughs> you didn't like that? That came out like right when we were doing the show. I'm like trying to figure out what's real and what's not. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I didn't really buy it. But this seems a, a little bit more serious in terms of uh, Brad Bohannon and the Alabama baseball coach. So can't wait to see this in terms of what this is going to be. And it also is uh, when we talk about this, because I know a lot of people might try to point the finger at like, see? Sports betting thing was sniffed out pretty quickly. And then, of course, off the board and action was taken pretty quickly afterwards. So we'll see what the implications are. Yeah, I mean, what, what is this? This is, this is the kind of stuff that gets figured out because of legalized sports betting now, right? We right. have U.S. integrity. We know Matt Holt very well, who uh, does a lot, had done a lot of work with VEASAN. Uh, heads up U.S. Integrity doing work with the sports books in Ohio that kind of flagged this situation. And, uh, you know, now, now we're getting to this point. So this is when you have some of these these companies helping out the sports books, you know, uh, keep an eye on some of this betting activity and suspicious betting activity. This is where you pick up on this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's already starting. Uh Alabama betting scandal is going to be just the tip of the iceberg. We have gone from Puritan zero to modified Mazda 120 with essentially zero thought to the larger framework of how any of this is going to work in this mammoth sports-crazed community. I don't really think that's the massive takeaway there. Uh, but that will be the takeaway from a lot of people who aren't entirely educated on how the entire system really does work. All right, with that, we are all done here on the numbers game. Gil Alexander again out tomorrow, so I will be back for one more go at it here on a numbers game. If you missed out on any part of the show, Jonathan Davis, Raheem Palmer, Jordan Sherwood, all of those interviews up at vsid.com via video or wherever you get your podcasts. That, of course, be Apple and Spotify, where all of our podcasts are located. Speaking of, Kelly and I go to record Hardwood Handicappers. That's the name of our pod. It's our NBA betting podcast that will come out later today. We'll see you tomorrow. Lombardi Line coming up next. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.